Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award-winning Ozcast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free, and you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. Ozcast. Simply head to ozcastnetwork.com for details. Did you know you can advertise on podcasts? Don't act like you're not impressed. Find out more at podvertise.com.au. That's podvertise with an s.com.au. Craig, uh, Leon, for, for coming on the Unleashed podcast, or vice versa, for, for me being on the, the Be Ready project. Pretty cool to have a, a unique cast on together. Yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks, Jake. Hey, guys, how you going? Uh, well, first, uh, combining podcast, but two birds, one stone. It's a time That's when it. everyone's uh, busy and doesn't have much time, so two birds, one stone. Yeah. And then also, Jake, just thank, thank you, Jake. Uh, we're feeling for all our, I'm, I'm a fellow Victorian and feeling for all the Victorians down there that sort of. Hopefully you get some good news on Sunday, but um, it's good to be here and uh, on the podcast with um, and just sort of share some stories actually about life and sport and everything we talk about. No, mate, absolutely awesome. Um, yeah, we're, we're dying for a bit of normality in, in Melbourne. I think the only, the biggest thing we've got is that the AFL Grand Finals played between two Victorian teams up in Brisbane, which is <laughs> un, unheard of for us, but uh, well, I guess we're, yeah, we're summed up 2020. Who's your who's your tip? Who's your tip? Uh, I'd be surprised if Richmond lose, but um, uh, I don't know. A few, a few, a few people I know reckon Geelong's got a chance, but uh, I don't know. Craig, what are you what are you tipping? Oh, I, was, I, I think um, a bit biased because actually my first club was Richmond, and I and I believe doing a bit of research on you, Jake, that you uh, played for the Richmond Footy Club in 2016. Is that correct? I did, yeah. The uh, the soccer club down in Melbourne, yeah, yeah so, had, a, had a year so, there. So, so I, but I, I think that um, it's one of those ones where it, they're that close and they play really different styles. But I just think Richmond's speed um, on the outside, if it all being fair, I, I think Richmond probably will get up by a couple of goals, and they've had that experience before. So um, yeah. it should be close. But um, I'm hoping the Tigers win, and I believe the Tigers will win. Yeah, their favourites are they? Their favourites to win are they? They're their favourites. I think it's, uh, it's, there's not much in it, but I mean, like, I mean, they've won two of the last three. So if they can win this, you know, if you win three of four, um, you put yourself up in Brisbane Lions, Geelong Footy Club, Hawthorne. So it, it'll be a cracker game, rowdy. But um, yeah, they're both two best teams in the competition. Uh, I just think you know, that uh, the evenness of, of of the Tigers and being there before, even though it's at a different location at the Gabba, um, I think I think that might get them across the line. Craig, are you, are you surprised? We have spoken about this on the podcast before. It's the first time that uh, the Victorian clubs have had to really understand that travel. Um, are you surprised that there's two Victorian clubs in the grand final because they've been away from their families um, and had to had to really experience that travel aspect? Well, I think like Brisbane sort of Brisbane and Port Adelaide were in the box seats because they finished first and second, and obviously Adelaide they don't have the uh, border restrictions and. And Brisbane, so they're sleeping in their own beds, which, as you, as you know, Rowdy, it makes a big difference in living in a hub. But um, I just think, you know, like footy's not just about talent. You need talent, but it's also about your culture, your footy club, your connection. I think I think Geelong and Richmond probably have proven, even though Port Adelaide have had a fantastic year and so have Brisbane Lions, I just think that 
you know, great sides, great clubs, and I think Melbourne Storm proved that, is that they, 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 they come together with adversity. Um, and the two best sides in Geelong and Richmond have made the grand final. And that's why I think it's going to be one hell of a, hell of a game on the weekend. Yeah, it must be must have been unique for all of them. I mean, a hundred days in a hub with forty of your teammates and all their partners and kids running around, and I think it does. I mean, Port Adelaide that for me must have stung them because they had a, a pretty stellar year and probably in a window, Craig, as you'd call it, to, to win something. So that that must have hurt them being in, as you said, in their their home states and playing in front of their home fans um, yeah. and falling falling short. You'd, you'd really would have thought this was a chance for them, but. Um, it wasn't to be, was it? No, it's sort of like, I mean, I mean, probably Rowdy be able to talk about Melbourne Storm. I think, you know, I, 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 we all love all codes, but it's culture, you know, like, you know, they're obviously a great team. They've great coaches and all that, but you know, they've been they've been based out of Melbourne for how, probably longer, actually, and uh, they've yeah. found a way to get to the grand final. So I think every, every club, every organisation, no matter what it is, you're looking for talented people, but you're looking for resilient people. Um, yeah. And what's happened is, is um, you know, the, the two most resilient, talented clubs have actually got to the the, the last day, you know, the, the the last dance in regards to the grand final this Saturday night. And uh, it's a credit to not just the playing group, but their organisation. So it's uh, it's been a one of those weird years. You guys have lived it more than anyone. We've been pretty lucky here in Sydney. Um, but uh, you know, it just just goes to show, as I said, like I'm I'm a lot older as. Um, Rowdy and Leon will tell you most of, most of our podcasts. Yeah, they, 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 Fifty-two. They like to tell, to tell our viewers um, <laughs> how old I am. Looking but, good, um, mate. Looking good. But, but the bottom line is, is that uh, you know, as I've been around a long time, it, it, that that culture piece in a football club or in a in a in a in, a, in an organisation working is really important. Um, and I think that's just been replicated with. Uh, obviously Geelong and Richmond and, and also Melbourne Storm and I think Penrith have shown a lot of resilience this year in regards to where they've come in the last couple of years. So, yeah, it's going to be a really good weekend of footy. Because um, some of the work, Chris and, and Leon, you guys do, which is actually pretty pretty impressive from, I know you guys work a lot on like the corporate kind of culture and, and try and instill some of the lessons that you learnt from your footy experiences and, and playing in those high-pressure environments, which would be great to get some detail on, I guess, the benefits you think that's bringing to some of those environments, but from just for a selfish point of view with Melbourne Storm, Chris, like why do you think we're so competitive consistently? Um, I know we've kept the same coach for a while, but we've obviously gone to a lot of players. Is that yeah. does that come back to what Craig's saying around culture and things like that? Oh, definitely. I think it does help. Obviously, at the start, you know, first of all, you know, having Craig there and to um, instill you know a structure and that culture and that work ethic about you know that hardworking um, ethic. Then having three players uh, as immortals in key positions and going through that run, you know, that helps yeah. set up the foundation that it didn't matter what player came into the system, you just knew you had to do your role because you knew you had, you know, three immortals around you that they would look after the rest. You didn't have to worry about anyone else's job. I think in, sometimes in team sports, if at some point, if you have to worry about someone else's job or worry about coming here or there, that can yeah. take the coax away from you doing your job consistently day in, day out, game, you know, week in, week out. And, for so many years, they, um, you know, they haven't had to do that with having, you know, those three guys. So the challenge is always going to be when those guys left, how are they going to um, be able to accommodate that? But um, what they've done is they've been able to, one, recruit really well, but they've built the winning culture. So they've got the belief in there. So it doesn't matter, what, you know, what player comes in there, they work hard and they've just got the belief that you do your job and you know how to win. So 
it's if you've got the belief and you just believe in the system and the trust and literally you can just give everything in there there's no self-doubt there's no second guessing on the field and they've just got that um and that's why they've succeeded post you know um cooper cooper Conk leaving and billy slater leaving because yes they've got great players you know cam munson now Ryan Tuffin, you know, playing, yeah. but the fact they've just got that belief of the club um, got that work ethic and the belief of the club, which has just been instilled throughout, again, the last, what, 10, 12 years. Yeah, we're, we're pretty lucky because we've only got one team and they seem to be in and around it every year. And I'd probably assume, like, people like Cameron Smith and Billy Slater probably like being in Melbourne because they were out of the spotlight. I can imagine if they're playing for the Broncos, it'd probably be hard for them to walk down the street of Brisbane, <laughs> uh, down the city of Brisbane at some point. But uh, we were joking before the podcast and more so for... For the listeners on my end from the Unlaced podcast who don't really know much about Chris Lawrence, uh, Chris played in the NRL for you know, 15-odd years for, for one club, which is unheard of in the modern day of a professional um, athlete. But I think you made – when did you make your debut? Was it back in 06 or around yeah, that period? It, yeah, so sort of for your listeners, a bit about my story. I was uh, fortunate enough to make my debut when I was 17. I was still in high school. It was um, – yeah, sort of got thrown in the deep end. I was um, – just uh, yeah, going up to um, trial training with the team uh, as a bit of experience. The coach at the time, Tim Sheens, he uh, would always take a couple of young guys up to a, um, a, a game, travelling away, just to get experience about how to sort of prepare for a game. And you know, a couple of days out before the game, um, one of the players went down with an injury and he walked up to me and said, Look, looks like you're injured. So three days later, I, mean, I had to sign. I didn't have a general contract. I had to sign a contract. It wasn't 18. My dad had to sign the contract. Flew up. Played the game, debuted in front of 40,000 people at Suncorp, scored a try and debut, flew home that night, next day I have a HSC exam. Uh, and so I was like overnight and then had cameras, I was on the back page of the paper, cameras following me around everywhere. It was it was really a, a shock to the system because I was thrown in the deep end and then went from being like literally a nobody, um, just thrown in and was now playing first grade. Um, so I was sort of... Had to, it was trial by fire, had to learn very, very quickly, had to mature very, very quickly. Um, was fortunate enough to play the back end of the 06 year. Started in 07 um, on the um, playing reserve grade, had to sort of earn my stripes again, um, then got my opportunity sort of midway through the year and was fortunate enough to sort of play the rest of the year and, and then sort of that kick started my career. So, yeah, as I said, I was um, very fortunate, you know, playing 15 years at the one club. Um, you know, I was uh, also lucky enough to um, play for Australia. I made my best debut for Australia in 2010 and played another five test matches in, um, in uh, 2011. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, had a pretty roller, I suppose roller coaster is probably the best way to describe <laughs> my career. Had, um, you know, a number of injuries, uh, two sort of separate injuries were like in the car accident, so dissipated the hip. In 2011, um, then a number of successive injuries, you know, you know, the hamstring, multiple hamstrings, ankles, ankle surgery, broken hands, um, you know, shoulder dislocation, broken jaws, and then in uh, 2019, I had a sort of had a head crush in training and I suffered a major facial injury and um, essentially face caved in, broke four bones in my face, um, with pretty much every bone in my face broken. I had to have a full facial reconstruction and got sort of seven. Seven or eight plates now in my face, so um, yeah, and then wow. lucky enough to come back from that and finish, um, sort of finish my own turn. Probably not how we wanted to finish again, missing out in the semis again, uh, which is you know, frustrating yeah, for the West Tigers. But um, sort of really glad I sort of got to come back and again, 15 years, 253 games. It's um, 
it's uh, yeah, it's been a, a lot long journey. You're three three weeks into my retirement now, so it's. Uh, um, how's that sunk? going? How's that going for you? As I was about to say, is it sunk in yet or? No, not really. Well, I, well, I see him at the pub a lot more, which is good anyway. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Six months in a bubble, I'll tell you what, the, the first skinner I had, I, we, or our local pubs, um, you know, we live, me and Lambo live quite close to each other, so we've got the same local. And I'll tell you what, a beer's never tasted so good, getting a fresh skinner poured. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've not been able to go down and have one. So, uh, yeah, it's been, been good. It's uh, been, been able to enjoy a few beers, catch up with you know, friends and family who I've been able to see in the bubble. But uh, to be honest, I haven't really had time to reflect um, yet. I'm sort of straight rolling into the business. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about soon, which is, you know, been a really good thing. I'm so sort of glad. With more reflecting, the only reflecting I'm sort of probably doing at the moment is, wow, I'm so glad I did that work over the last 15 years because I don't know where my headspace would be, or you know, if I didn't have that, if I didn't have, you know, the experience behind me, the education, the building of the business, something well created into. So. Yeah, it's, uh, I'll probably take some time over Christmas to have a have a holiday. Well, can't go anywhere at the moment. Everyone goes. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. You can go to Byron, mate. Byron, somewhere somewhere new you could go. I'll, I'll hold an NRL's at Byron. Now, literally, <laughs> I think, yeah. That's not a good thing. One of the boys and they said, "Oh, I'll go out and Byron this week." And I said, "Mate, uh, everyone's at Byron." And they go, oh, "I know," but and um, one of the Tigers boys said, "We're trying to book like places to go for Melbourne Cup Day to the um, the Origin and." Hey, we can't get anywhere. I'm like, yeah, because the whole NRL's up. But um, yeah, anyway, it's, that, uh, that's a scary. It's a scary thought. The whole NRL up at Byron, eh? Yeah, that, that's that, what I was saying. <laughs> you being a Victoria Melbourne and there, uh, Jake. Yeah, the AFL boys. We do behave ourselves a little bit better than those NRL. Boys, oh, I would, I would, I'd jump on your bandwagon there. Great. <laughs> you know, the only reason why they do that is because the Melbourne media are like so. They, they, they don't. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, maybe. You know that too. Whereas, yeah, yes, there's a few. There's yeah. a few handshakes. There's, there's definitely some handshakes going around there. Oh, mate, the, the Sydney media. There's a you know not all of them. You know, there's a lot of good journalists out there. There's a, a few journalists that are just looking for um, players to jaywalk, and then it's a it's a massive story. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a pretty pretty unique story though you got Chris because um, and and Craig, you probably experienced this on the other side of the fence when you've come out of the game and worked in a sort of a player welfare space with with some AFL teams. And Leon, you probably experienced it working with a lot of athletes. But there's not too many people that can say they've had a 10, 15 year career in any code um, and have a successful one at that. Because a lot of and this was one of the reasons why I started the Unlaced podcast was because it was really around it was centered around obviously the athlete and what they're doing to be more balanced. But definitely for me, my experience with with transitioning out of sport was really tough because I had no pathway out of it. it. It fell short of my goals, never expected to come out as quick as I did. And um, it kind of seems like you've really planned your way out and phased it out, which is fantastic. But I actually had one of one of my guests early on in the podcast, named Johnny McCain. He's a former soccer and he, he's similar to you because he had like a 15, 16 year career. And he said he, came, he retired on his terms. Um, he was ready, he'd, he'd had enough, he had kids and all that, but he still found it really tough. Um, because it's just a shock to the system of coming out of you know something you've known for so long. So um, yeah, it's pretty pretty cool on your behalf to say you've you've played for that long at the highest level. Yeah, no, it's definitely something that um, yeah, I, I think you know in particular in coming months and, and years I'll reflect on you know my career and obviously be proud of the things I've been able to achieve, the things I've been able to overcome. But um, yeah, again, probably the, a lot of the reflection now is just about. Um, how glad uh, I am that I started in the process of finding um, you know, a passion away from sport. 
uh, yeah. you know, want to set myself up early. Um, yeah, and I suppose you know, and that's probably probably a good segue in, into a Leon story and how we started the business because it really was from that point. Um, you know, me initially, you know, being thrown in the deep end, still doing my HSE, my high school exams, uh, and then having you know my people around me say, "Look, don't waste that." Get that done. Um, you know, so you've worked hard for it while playing, and then I just I found it was a good way to escape from the media and escape from the attention and my focus away. Yeah. So that was just inbuilt from literally day one, and then started doing a lot of things, and then you know, and then we'll talk about obviously his journey, but then being able to then you know partner with Leon and then build something away has just significant. Oh, I feel like it's allowed me. I want to be able to get through a lot of setbacks, and I would have ridden the highs and lows too much. It just kept me grounded, kept me. Um, they would get me distant and it just allowed me to um, really not get um, get over the top. But um, Leon, I suppose that's pretty good sort of for you to jump in for real. Yeah, Chris actually told me, Leon, you were a pretty competitive footy player yourself. So, um, nah, did, not did really, you... mate. Not really. <laughs> did he put a bit I'm of glad, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you brought that up because we hear it all the time. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 good, good. yeah my, my story was kind of like that, I guess story that you probably hear 99% of the time with a young athlete that kind of comes through the system and uh, has all these goals and, and um, dreams of playing professional sport. And from a very young age, I was told that I would play professional sport. And, and for me, that, that really worked against me. I think, I think that I just expected that because from the age of 14 that I was, gonna, I was told I would play that I'll just make it and, and I kind of went through the system and and was kind of really kind of uh, flying under the radar and, and no, one, no one really kind of disrupted the path until, until probably I was about 19, I reckon. I think um, I signed a, a contract. I moved from the Cronulla Sharks to the West Tigers when I was 19 and um, and even when I was there, when I for my first year, I, um, I kind of was... Yeah, I was playing really good footy, and, and then I got probably got my really serious first injury, I guess, and and from there I kind of struggled. But for me, because I was told I was going to play professional sport from such a young age, um, school became for me the only reason why I went to school was to play more, play more footy, and and I really disengaged from from school, and and so at the age of twenty two, when I kind of hung up the boots as such, and and, and realised that playing professional sport wasn't something actually I really wanted to do. Um, I really found it hard to kind of move into anything else because I really had no confidence in education and, and confidence in my ability to learn and my ability to do really anything outside of playing rugby league. So, yeah, I, I, I kind of struggled for three months. I, I went and um, started working for my dad. Doing a, um, he was a builder at the time and, and again, my old man didn't really want me to go down that, down that path of, of building. Um, so I decided to, to enroll into a course and really the only thing that I had confidence in was fitness outside of playing rugby league. So I just decided to enroll into a fitness course. And because of my experience and my confidence in fitness was the first time when I enrolled into that tape course that I really got confidence in learning. And, and from doing that, that qualification when I was 22, I've, I've really kind of, um, yeah, my whole world's changed. And, and I, I, my, I just want to create a business now and, and my main role is education. And if you would have told me at 19 years old that you would be at, at 32, be ahead of a, a, a business that, that solely focused on education, I would have laughed at you. I hated <laughs> learning. 
um, yeah. but now um, because I understand that there's more than one way to learn and, and if you can, um, I guess, uh, focus on what your strengths are when it comes to, to learning, then, then you can really kind of enjoy it as much as everyone else does who, who might be a really good strong reader or a really good strong writer and, and really excel at school. So, yeah, that's where my journey started and, and I, um, I did my fitness course and, and started working in the fitness industry and then I guess I saw a lot of my mates like Chris start playing first grade and um, and yeah, we kind of looked at uh, some courses that, that like I did my course through TAFE and Chris did his course online and my, my TAFE course, I knew that an athlete couldn't do that. It was just way too demanding and with Chris's course, it was probably um, too much f flexibility that if you didn't have the... Um, yeah, I guess the attitude and the determination that, that you and that Chris has to, to achieve things is really persistent. Like you probably wouldn't have got it done. So we thought, well, there needs to be a better way for athletes to learn, and, and there needs to be better courses out there. So we tried to look for one. We couldn't find one. So we said, you know what, we'll just create one ourselves. So not <laughs> knowing awesome. what to do or how to do it, we um, just kind of done what we've always done. We just used our sporting network and leverage of our sporting network to find some people that knew some people that knew some people that, that we could talk to and we kind of did that and, and from there uh, 2012 um, literally probably three months after we kind of had the idea we, we launched our first research on fitness with uh, 15 players from the West Tigers and yeah it's been um, you know, eight nine years now and, and been very fortunate to work now with over do the numbers today about 400 500 athletes and and helping them not just in this course now and build confidence in learning through fitness but also through youth work courses and some small um discovery courses where athletes can kind of find um find their path and their journey and, and their passion outside the sport so it's been fun Mate, that's a pretty unique business I, w I would say and i think um I think it's awesome how you're you're connecting with athletes to I guess broaden the horizons or, or try and share that there's more. But do do you have challenges given you kind of stated when you were younger? I guess education was kind of one of those things you didn't really want to give much time to or felt like you didn't need to because you had your sport and predominantly were focused on that. But do you do you have challenges with athletes who potentially don't really want to explore those options or how do you kind of converse with them to to give them some insight of you know it's probably worth your worth your time doing something like this now while you're younger. To prepare for what's next yeah I, I guess one of the big things that i find i, I couldn't tell my story of athletes where I, I would i would be petrified going into a classroom because i was worried the teacher would ask me to stand up and read something and i knew that i couldn't read and um and i had no no confidence in in education or and when i kind of share my story and it's kind of the icebreaker when i when i start working with athletes um and the reason why i do that is just to really kind of uh, allow them to understand that that, that what they're feeling because I know that they're kind of probably going through the same thing that I went through as well and I'm probably on the same page as them and and 99% of the athletes that I work with and, and that we've worked with over the years yeah are, are in that same boat where they've got no confidence in learning so yeah. I wouldn't say that they don't want to engage with it I think they're just scared of engaging with it so yeah, yeah. for us we've, we've got a reputation and and I guess we've got that uh, awareness now in the, in, within the, the sporting or, or, uh, industry or, or world realm where 
um, when you come into a course with us, it, it's it's very different to school, and um, and it's all about alternative ways to learn and, and enjoying yourself, and enjoying that experience, and um, and so for us, it, it's just a great, um, it, it's it's awesome. Like I had Michelle Heyman just finish off her certification fitness, and at the end of it, that was she said to me, it's the first qualification or anything that she's ever completed. Like she didn't finish her HSC, she didn't finish her schooling, and she's kind of at a stage now where she's retired and she doesn't know what to do. She's had a really kind of hard last 24 months. Um, and the fact that she's been able to enroll into our course and for the first time finish something and have the confidence um, now in education is, is what is why Chris and I do what we do and we really love it because um, everyone's different. And, and I think that education at the moment is, um, is very kind of boxed in, in kind of one way. Um, yeah. If you're a circle, you know, fit into a square, well, how, how, how is that going to help you? So for us, we're just trying to look at all those alternative ways and, and if we can build confidence in learning along the way, um, then we're going to So you're, you're branching out across a couple of the various codes now. You started off, obviously, with the West Tigers and the NRL boys, but is it, is it something that's expanding into all codes and male and female? Yeah, yeah. So um, probably, probably 2018, we probably worked with the NRL for the – for the first six years, and then 2018, we decided now look, we've, we've definitely got a, a product that can go um, a bit further. So, um, yeah, we work with uh, athletes in, from Union, from soccer. Um, uh, we've actually had a, a few international um, uh, players. I, I, I've been working with um, with Martin Boyle. Um, Oh, yeah, plays at Hibs, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, he, yeah. he did our cert three, cert four this year. So I woke up at five a.m. and there's a few of the um Super League Australian Super League players that were in England. So we would all jump on a, a Zoom call at five a.m. Sydney time. So that was fun. We did that for about seven months, and they got through their cert three, cert four, and he was a part of that. So um, so yeah, we're, we're really trying to branch out. We're, we're doing some stuff with um the. New South Wales Sport. We've done a lot of work with cricket. Um, we're, we're doing a little bit of work with the AIS now too. So the only the only sporting code we haven't been able to attack, and and you think that we would be able to with our good mate Lambo is is the AFL. But <laughs> oh, come on, Lambo. Hopefully, What's hopefully, going on there? hopefully. Well, they, they hold a very you know the the AFL Players Association. They're very very they, they hold everything to themselves. The AFL. So um, yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, it's. Well, the well, well, mate, I just, you know, I think we talk about it on 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 Be, Be Ready podcast all the time, but that that transition. But I mean, the AFL probably the last. I reckon. I mean, I retired in two thousand, but I reckon probably the last ten years they've done it really, really well in regard to that transition piece. Um, in regards to identifying players' passion early. Um, I think when I when I've been in player welfare development, well, I was for about twelve, fourteen years, and. There was always a, a, a pitch to us from our GMs and our CEOs to get just get them into anything, um, and that mm-hmm. does doesn't work. And we talk about it a lot about you've got to find what their niche and what their passion is. And and, and Leon spoke about they all learn differently. Um, and you know I was never an academic. I, I was doing a, a plumbing apprenticeship when I started playing for Richmond back in '88, and I was in my third year, so I had to finish that while I was playing uh, AFL, AFL footy. So. But I think what I learned in regards to the education and what I love about you know what Laura and Leon does is just the ability to be able to, that's 
magic, I reckon, in, a, in an organisation where you're trying to develop talent, and that's mm-hmm. as a, in a sporting, is don't try and treat them all the same because they are so different. And when you're talking about education and life after footy, there are some there are some young kids that come from academic families, and the parents have always said to them, listen, yeah, I know you're playing AFL or NRL, but you need to have something after it. And there's other ones who don't want to have a bar of it for the first couple of years, but they do have certain passion and certain yeah. hot certain hot buttons you can find um, that you can actually work with, whether it's sales, you know, they're really good and they're extroverts and all that. Um, you know, it's there's so many ways you can attack um, education and that holistic approach of an athlete. And I think that's what I think what uh, what Laurel and Leon do really really well um, when we have our talks is just be able to identify the athlete, what's their real passion. How can we work together? Don't don't be don't be insecure because let's face it, 80, 90 percent of all the all the athletes I've ever been involved with, and there's been some absolute superstars. They all have insecurities. Just some hide it better than others. Yeah, be interesting. Yeah, Jake, sort of from, from our point of view, sort of knowing a bit more sort of about your journey and, your, and yourself, and you know, how you sort of dealt with that that transition piece as well. Yeah, I guess my my story is not too dissimilar to to Leon's in the sense I was. Um, you know, so I played most sports as a kid growing up, but then around 12 or 13, I made the first state team I ever made out of I, I took cricket, footy, and soccer pretty seriously as a kid. Um, and the first state team I ever made was a soccer team. And the first national tournament I went away, I just that decided then and there that, that soccer was what I wanted to do, and all the sports started clashing on the same day, so I ended up having to pick one. Um, and pretty much soccer became my life from you know, 12, 13 years old. So to the point, every day I was training with a coach or by myself to get better and it just became my, my total mindset and school was kind of you know second rate to that um, and I guess I was probably one of those examples that was through hard work but I was definitely lucky I, I kind of made every possible rep team you could make um, from all the state teams captaining them to then making the Victorian Institute of Sport and then fortunate enough got to go to the AIS um, and spent a couple of years there which at the time was like the elite pathway of soccer in our country anyway so if you you're kind of 16 to, or sorry, 15 to 17 in this country, and you're in the AAS, you, you were in a good spot. If you weren't, you, you probably had to go overseas to try and get some sort of elite development because there was no real sort of second um, second pathway that was as, as good. Um, so, yeah, I ended up, you know, learning a lot <laughs> about myself going to the AAS and living in an environment which is, you know, it's like a, a sporting prison, really. You sleep, eat, train and repeat and you've got some of the most incredible athletes on your doorstep around you it's pretty inspiring and the soccer team was uh, a bunch of little shitheads 15 to 17 years old causing causing a ruckus but we were all in the young socceroos um so we were traveling around the world playing for australia we'd come back play in the the youth league for and represent the ias which was like the i guess the reserve league for the a league and um you know i had some I guess from my own personal perspective, when I was at the AAS, it was like all into football. There was nothing else that mattered. We all went to a, a shitty public school at Lake Ginandera, um, which, which was good fun. But we, we kind of, you know, education was just second rate. And, and my last three years of school were done over one because the AAS were able to fast track me to focus on soccer, which, you know, looking back in hindsight, probably wasn't the best move. But at the time, I was high-fiving people. How good's this? So, um yeah, there I, I had a you know really good experience. Um, I guess I learned a lot about myself, as I said, and I was fortunate enough to get picked up by the Gold Coast in the A-League um, when I was 17. So like you, Chris, was pretty young, straight into a professional environment. I've been living out of home since I was 15, obviously going to the AIS and 
I spent a year up on the Gold Coast and, you know, that was a pretty unique transition as still I was like a kid playing against men at a, at a high level and, um, you know, was fortunate enough to crack into the team and play some games up there in, you know, it was a, a pretty unique environment because it was the last year of the club when I was there and Clive Palmer was um, <laughs> causing mayhem trying to start a Rebel League and, you know, having a go at the FFA and uh, out of nowhere the licence just got um, pretty much stripped from the Gold Coast. So... Uh, I had a two-year contract up there that kind of ended after one. Um, and then, yeah, got picked up by, by Adelaide United and, and spent a couple of seasons there. And again, yeah, you know, soccer was the only option for me. And my plan and pathway was to end up being a socceroo and go overseas and have all these, you know, grand plans of what I what I should be doing and what I trained for. And I spent two years there and had, had a really difficult time, just a, a lot of injuries. And when I played, I always felt like I played well, but just kept, kept hitting hurdles. We had five coaches in, in the two and a half years I was there and just struggled to get stability as a young guy. And I think my headspace at the time wasn't the best. Probably thought, one, I was a bit better than what I was and my attitude to dealing with some obstacles and hurdles just didn't really have the maturity on my, my shoulders to really f navigate and figure out that actually I should, you know, show the coaches that I'm better than what, I, what they think or, you know, react in a positive way. And, um, yeah, I started to, you know, just really... Um, I guess feel a lot of challenge in, in my own headspace and, and, and off the off the sort of field I took that away with me a lot and then my contract ended at Adelaide and there's only you know in the A-League really in Australia there's only 10 teams or nine teams so uh, there's 23 spots per roster and when you're in eight, 18 to 21 there's probably only 10 or 15 of you that are going to get a contract so it's a pretty elite group when you can get one so I unfortunately just couldn't get one because there was no spaces in a few places and obviously probably didn't have the runs on the board um, with my last season not playing enough games to kind of warrant a, a contract. So I ended up um, throwing everything in, in uh, you know, putting up all, all my eggs in one basket and going overseas using my UK passport and going on trial to a, a bunch of clubs over there. I ended up buying a car and living with my uncle and thought this is the only thing for me. I've got to, I've got to do this and um, was training every day uh, by myself and I ended up going to five or six clubs, which all were unique and wonderful experiences in themselves, but just never got picked up because in, in the UK, essentially, I was an elite player in Australia, but there's, you know, 150 jakes per town in, in the UK, you know, so I was, I wasn't worse, wasn't better, but there was just a lot, a lot more players, a lot more talent in the pool. So if you, you know, the way England, uh, it's something that the AFL or NRL probably don't do as well as the UK, but they have these elite academies from eight years old to, to 21. Um, so if I'm going there on trial, I've got to be better than them because they've given 15, 14 years to investing in these kids. Why would they get rid of them for an Aussie that's just as good? Um, and then, yeah, I just really, really battled with, after that, I, I just didn't want to play soccer anymore. I just, I just hated the fact of where it was taking me and I felt like I'd given so much effort and was just lacking the reward. And I just lost having fun in life, really, because I was so defined by my soccer performances and when they weren't up to scratch my just sort of self-esteem and identity was kind of hurt. So um, I ended up taking like a, a good year and a half off uh, soccer and kind of just went missing um, and travelled the world and just tried to see another side of life, which was probably one of the best things I ever did. Um, and then I came back and played a, a year, as Craig said, for, for Richmond and, and South Melbourne, just in the local leagues, just to try and connect with the game again and have fun. And just ran into I did, which which definitely fell back in love with the game and had an awesome time. But again, just and, and sorry, Jake scored scored nine goals in you that year. Yeah, yeah, it did, mate. Yeah, it was, yeah, uh, yeah, mate, yeah. Like, ramp it up a little bit, please. Come on. <laughs> no, no. We can see you got one right on the Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I should have edited that before, Craig, and, and bumped it up even more. Then. Yeah, I know. Um, 
no, but then and then yeah, just decide. I had a had a serious hip injury and and I was twenty two, um, and yeah, just didn't really. A few doctors said I shouldn't play anymore and this and that, and um, I kind of just thought this is you know I need to figure out my life outside of football and I still want to be a successful person, uh, and I felt like the best decision to make was to branch away from the sport and and start navigating my life outside of it. Um, and again, like like Leon probably instilled in, into the business you guys are doing with One Wellbeing, just wasn't prepared for it um, by no way, shape or form. I think the lucky thing for me, I was 22, 23, so I had a bit of time on my side to really figure things out. I didn't have a, a wife and kids or a house. You know, I was still in a, I still had that independence to, to kind of figure stuff out and make a lot of mistakes and um, find my feet and um, probably wasn't <laughs> really only till like, four or five weeks ago did I actually realize that you know all the success I had in soccer and sport was actually um defined by me as a, as a human being like you know that this the skill sets I had the disciplines the mindset was actually translatable into anything else in life it's just soccer was the vehicle that was kind of showing it to people or showing it to myself and it took me it took me three or four years to really go from like identity loss to like you know, had um wouldn't say depression but some really dark times where it's just like you know i'm seeing my mates playing for the socceroos playing in english premier league playing in spain playing in asia making you know big bucks and living out my dream um which i obviously was super happy for them but just yeah had had a lot of challenges with that so um it kind of tied into why i brought about the podcast because um you know the whole concept of the unlaced podcast for me was humanizing the athlete and and how balance in life for an athlete can sometimes translate into you know, better performances on the field, but also is going to set you up for a, you know, a longer part of your life. Because as you know, uh, Chris and Craig and Leon, the uh, the average life of an athlete, even you know, if, if it's a ten year career, it's it's only a small percentage of your lifetime. So you're going to have to be good in other areas, um, you know, to to be successful over long term. So yeah, that that's kind of my journey. Was was yeah, just from a, from a soccer point of view, anyway. How did you? Do, how, just curious. I'm just curious. How did you? Um, well, we talk about a lot. Um, on our podcast, but I mean, you're, you're you're 15 and you're going away away from your family. I know the AIS do it pretty well. We've had a lot of AIS athletes on on our podcast and the structure and all that. But you've travelled so much, you know, over that first six, seven, eight years of your life. I mean, one of the biggest threats of AFL, especially the northern states, is getting Victorian lads um, to our club, and then all of a sudden homesickness, um, living away yeah. from home. So they invest a lot of time in regards to welfare and development. But, I mean, how did you get through? I mean, like, obviously, it would have been mate. You sound like a really balanced, holistic person, but um, it just, <laughs> it's just – and you're only so young. But to be able to go through that, I, I imagine there'd be 50% of AFL players. That if, if you spoke about how many you, – you've gone to Gold Coast, you've gone to Adelaide, you've gone over to Europe, you've come back. Um, how'd, yeah. you get through, how'd you get through it? Uh, there's actually a couple of things to that. So the first, I actually listened to your boys um, – podcast with with dean cox because uh, i'm obviously a big big footy nut and, and you asked you you mentioned this to, to coxie as well like you know the transition i think he i don't know where he's from but when he went to perth the homesickness and stuff and one thing from a soccer point of view and, and it may be just because we're on that side of the fence but we do kind of find it not funny but how some afl players find it difficult going from victoria to brisbane and, and saying they're homesick when i've got a mate that's playing an inch on in career where they can't even speak english and, and you know like he doesn't he doesn't you know sweat a sweat a beat um, so from that point of view, if I, when I go back to my journey, the fifth, moving at 15 was really unique. I think at the time I was just so pumped because the AIS was the holy grail at 15. It was like, 
playing for Manchester United in Australia, you know, it was the greatest thing you could do. So there was 20 of us all going, we all got selected. And when we were there, I just had so much fun. Um, but, but what I probably wasn't prepared, prepared for was the individual challenges that I didn't have the people around me I was used to to lean on and kind of get advice and seek support. It was like you were straight into a professional environment at 15. And if you're not playing well, the coach, you know, the coach sometimes would treat you differently. If you, you made a bad pass, you get, you get treated differently. You get the boys, you know, isolated, all that sort of stuff um, because we're all kids at that time. So I think I handled it quite well. I, I kind of always enjoyed it, if I'm, if I'm honest, because it was something different. I never really missed being in Melbourne. I was so wanting to be the best footballer I could that I was willing to go wherever it was. Um, but, yeah, that, I think the Canberra one was just a unique experience. Like, I, I can't think of too many people that can say they go into an elite sporting environment like the AAS with 20 other kids your age at 15 to 17 and you're all kind of just coming out of puberty <laughs> um, to, to figuring your life out. So, um, Yeah, do you think it's a, a bit like when we talked, spoke on the podcast uh, with Brad Haddon about the, that's the expectation. Like if you, you're coming through, say, a cricketer, the expectation is that you're if you're going to make it, you're going to be travelling, you know, four or five months mm. out of the year. So it's sort of it's in their mindset. You sort of prepare for it, like yourself, um, Dave. But as a soccer player, you want to actually go to the AOS as a fifteen-year-old. So it's it's actually a good thing when you know. Well, I'd love to play overseas, or I'd love to go go here or there. Whereas a lot of the domestic sports, it is it is a bigger deal because if you're grown up in Victoria or New South Wales rugby league, then to make the the, the change. Um, because you've got a large base of clubs in that state to go into yeah. state is probably more of a, a bigger deal and probably the athletes um probably can't handle it overall uh, i would suggest yeah yeah it's funny i watched the um it was on amazon i think amazon prime the test where it kind of does the uh documentary of the aussie cricket team and i think i'm in, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the middle i'm in the middle of it how good is it oh mate it's one of the best things i've ever seen it, I, I took so much away from it jl justin langer seems like a, a real stern character god he don't they, they give him some stick about not smiling enough. But I think it was, um, they said they said one of his, uh, I think in it, it, it explained Justin Langer's away from home for 300 days of the year prior to that documentary. Just because like the amount of travel that's involved in cricket and, and obviously as Chris said, like months of a time in another country. Um, so yeah, pretty pretty unique. But I think for, for me and my experience, like all those experiences being so young and Chris probably experienced it as well. When you're 17 years old and, and Craig for you as well, in like a, a professional change room with blokes who are 30 plus and got kids and like you grow up pretty quickly because you don't really have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember being like 18, 19 and uh, Johnny McCain now who at the time was the club captain used to have me around for dinner all the time and he was like 30 with kids and I'm sitting there as an 18 year old kid and he's treating me like an adult, like a mate. And I'm thinking my mates are going out getting pissed on the weekend after, <laughs> after a week at high school. You know, it's just a different world. And so I was just forced to grow up and mature quickly, I guess, because I was thrown into situations where you had to. Yeah. Um, I suppose you look at it going because I'm listening to your story just what you were a bit like the experiences and the life experiences you would have had before the age of 22 you know what I mean living out of home as, as a you know, 15, 16 year old you know travelling to a couple of different clubs going and trialling overseas and travelling the world having setbacks you know having to deal with getting knocked back from clubs like when you sort of sit and reflect on it, it, it you said it's probably only been the last sort of four or five weeks to understand that um, you know those transferable skills but have you really reflected about how much that period, you know, has shaped you and, and taught you along the way? Yeah, it's funny because I, I think I heard something you say this, Chris, about your career and that obviously with some of the injuries and significant experiences you've had, you wouldn't change a thing. And I probably got to that point this year where I'm like, I actually probably wouldn't change it because I don't think I'd be as developed 
as I was now because I went through hell to kind of like comprehend, oh, fuck, why aren't I playing for the Socceroos? Why is all these players doing this? And I felt I was better than them. Like, if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't get to a point where I started to value and understand, actually, the mistakes I made there now I know to not make again in anything else I do because, um, you know, it, it kind of, yeah, just, just really harsh lessons early in your life to get through is, re- is only going to really make you better and stronger, I guess. So, um, yeah, yeah I, th- I think, I think yeah, that, that's, that's been beneficial. But it's funny, I, I did want to share a story because um, one of the things I kind of say to when I speak into, like, younger players now in the youth environments for soccer, I'm like, you know, I'm like, don't get too attached to being the perfect professional footballer. Like, give your give your heart and soul when you're on the field and make it everything. But I always provide this example. When I was at the AIS, I had a really good year in the last year. I think the first two games of the season, the coach, Gary Van Egmont, he took me off before halftime, both games, which is the ultimate slap in the face as a soccer player. Uh, to the point, I think the second time, I didn't even shake his hand. I was 17. I was like, fuck off, you know. Um, and I thought, that's it. That can't happen again. Like, I need to start training, improving stuff out. And then... Uh, I started doing some extra sessions and I ended up getting like AAS player of the year and started just having a really good run. And I actually got selected in the um, under 20 World Cup squad when I was a bottom major. So the way the under 20 World Cups and under 17 World or Youth World Cups work, they're every two years. So I was fortunate enough to get two years ahead, so I could have gone to the next one. But when I got picked, I actually got picked over guys like um, Tom Rogic and, and Massimo Luongo. And I always tell this to kids, like at that time, they, they were gutted absolutely heartbroken and I thought I was the bee's knees we fast forward like five or six years I'm you know f- traveling the world figuring my life out and Tom Rogic's playing for Celtic on a multi-million dollar contract and Massimo Luongo is the Asian cup player of the year when we won and, and it just shows like you know you're not defined by any kind of moment and I've tried to reverse engineer that on my life with soccer I guess to not let that define me and stuff so um yeah it's, it's why do you think they turn around and have used that moment to go, you know, that's going to fuel me to find I'm not a failure. So I'm going to learn from whatever lesson I need to learn. And then that's maybe the reason they've got to where they are. And likewise, you're looking at some of the setbacks you've had or failures you've had playing soccer to go, no, you know what, that's actually going to help me now post-career. Correct. Yeah. And, and that's what I don't know. I don't know, to be honest, because I'm probably past it now, but it's more the like, I didn't really have much disappointment going through like all these youth careers and kind of made every team so my first real disappointment was at the pro level when guys who'd been there who were better than me were playing in front of me and I just didn't understand it um so yeah I I, I think some of the players that I played with who went through some disappointment like they're, they're the ones that are excelling and and probably have been the ones that have persevered the most um yeah. are the ones that are excelling simply simply yeah I think the great I think one of the great things you said Jack is and like and I'm, I said I know it's a bit of a joke on our podcast about my age and my experience but I think it's, a, it's so it is so important that you can't let the game define who you are. Um, that's when you do get in trouble. And yeah, you're obviously a lot younger, and you know, Loro's 31, 32. But you you, you do learn. And and my first five six years when I was at the Tigers, I mean, it was just everything to me. Every game I lived on, every how I played, how the how the team was going, and all that. Then I obviously got traded to Brisbane as a middle aged 25, 26 year old. I got engaged, had my first child. Then the game made sense to me where I loved it, you know, but mm. I was actually playing for a different purpose. You're playing more of a, how can I set my family up? Um, yeah. you know, and then, then I started to think probably a little bit more outside the, the box because I was never an academic, but I was always really good with people and loved to network yeah. through our sponsors and all that. And I'm in sales now. But I think awesome. what I learned probably in that probably last five, six years of, of my career was 
don't let it define you uh, because it can so easily just engulf your whole life. And um, uh, and I think that's if you've got any education, what I try and say to young guys, exactly what I say is that love it, mate. Don't take any shortcuts. Um, utilize every avenue you can to be the best you can be, but, but don't let it define you and don't let it control you because if it does, then, you know, if you get a bad injury, even if you're a superstar and you're going really well and you do your knee and you can't ever play again, you really you don't have that holistic approach on life. So it is a great message what you said before about don't let the game define you. Yeah. yeah. So Jake, well, one, of the big things, one of the big things that we, we speak to all our athletes about, I mean, I want to ask you this question. So obviously you decided to hang up the boots around that 22, 23, yeah. you're 27 now. Can you really kind of give us a bit of an understanding of what you've done for the last kind of four or five years and those ups and downs and, and how you, like what are some lessons that you've learned? Because that's really what we're about. It's, 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 it's awesome that we've all had these incredible careers, but understanding what it's, what it's been like for you post your career is what I'd love yeah. to do. Get a bit more understanding and unbox a bit. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I think one of the things that I, as soon as I came out of the sport, one of the things I took that I wanted to do was like almost have like this a degree or some sort of education to my name because I was kind of embarrassed with how when I look back on high school, I'm like from year year seven to nine, I went to a, a private school in Melbourne to a where I had a, a sporting scholarship, and then I went to Canberra in a public school where my last three years were done in one. So I kind of didn't really feel like I had an education. So I actually went back to university um, and got a degree. But whilst I was doing that, um, and this is probably something I would advocate for all athletes to do throughout their career, is I just had to try like a bunch of different shit. <laughs> I had to try everything from like laboring to bloody creating a, a, a social travel app with a friend or doing like all these extravagant, like traveling the world, just tried a whole bunch of different shit to see what I would land on. Um, I did a bit of real estate work with my dad. And then like um, like Craig, I guess I kind of always really enjoyed being around people and networking and, and talking with people and, and even with sponsors when I was there, like just having good relationships with people and, and end up now falling into a sales role at a technology company, which is um, kind of what's been filling me for, for the past few years. And it's, you know, something that I learn so much about every day, but also... I'm grateful for and start to realize actually some of the transferable skills you get from the sporting environment that actually kind of makes me a little bit unique in that space quite instantly because you're used to having hard conversations, you're used to being in high pressure environments where there's emotion, you're used to being, you know, told you're not good enough or this or that or, you know, judging yourself off, you know, metrics like, you know, how many touches Craig had on, on the weekend at the MCG or how many tries Chris has had over the last three, four years, stuff like that, you know. You're all you're used to it, and so in a sales role, all these things are there, that, and they don't really phase me as much because you kind of get accustomed to that sort of stuff. So I just, yeah, in short, I, ha I tried a bunch of different stuff, um, and just kind of it took me three or four years to find something where I thought maybe there's a bit of natural talent that can that can sort of build something. And then, yeah, most recently, just started the podcast because I kind of have always been like you, passionate about athlete transition, education, building, like. I guess I have a bit of a mantra like why can't plan B and C be better than plan A? Um, and, and that was kind of the whole you know, purpose of the podcast is just to kind of have a platform to talk about stuff like that. Yeah, it was actually interesting. Um, I, I had a look at, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you know, um, I've gone um, to what the YKTR, but um, obviously following um, Scott Hogan label um, for YKTR, Exeter Player. Um, well, I don't know if I'm a podcast with him. Um, quite a number of months ago, but 
it was a following him on social on social media. But it was something that he posted even a couple of weeks ago or a week ago. It really stuck out. I mean, what you just said is sort of similar to that, but basically he put something out about, um, you know, all the ex-footy players used to say, you might enjoy your time playing footy because it's the best years of your life. And he's like, well, why does that be the best years of your life? You know? Yeah. Why yeah. can't most footy be better? You know? And yeah. it's like, well, again, it is really good years of your life because you, you get to experience something that's quite unique oh, yeah. in a environment. You know, probably you play a sport and a thing that you love, but, that doesn't mean, you know, you, you can't be better when you finish. Uh, you know, yeah. some aspects you can never replicate, fair enough, but what, it doesn't have to be the same, but why can't it be better? So I just thought it was um, quite interesting, that sort of um, yeah. I always think, I don't know about you guys, but I just think with athletes in general, you're so used to being so competitive and, like, you hate losing. Um, so, like, why would you want to lose after your career? Like, you're probably going to want to be good at something again because you're so used to being good at something. So why would you want to, you know, settle for less? And that's kind of the challenge that I, I like, I've kind of noticed in myself, but I'm sure other athletes experience, like even like LeBron James, for example, like he doesn't need to work again, but I'm sure he's probably going to not sit on his couch and he's so used to working and being successful in something and making a difference that, you know, why, why would you want to stop now? So, yeah, um, yeah. And I think that's what the, um, when you look at like some of the problems, I can, when we speak a lot of athletes transitioning, um, it's that, especially if they haven't done something throughout their career and they don't know what they want to do. A lot of times they'll come out of their career, especially the, the ones that have been, you know, really successful and had long careers. You know, particularly yeah. there, if you've had, you know, 10, 15 year careers, I mean, some of the best of the best might struggle because they're used to being the elite of the elite and then coming into any other industry. And it's then hard for them to go, well, how can I be? I'm used to being the best of the best, right? and it's yeah, that's right. Well. I think I think yeah. what I think I think the great thing what you said before, and we talk about it a bit, but it's understanding those transferable skills, and um, you know, like it's 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 hard when you're in the moment, isn't it? Like it's sort of, you know, I I I, probably, I was lucky. I went into coaching after I finished. When I you know, Lee Matthews wound me up, he said, "Hambo, I love you, but you're getting a bit old, so we'll, we'll wind <laughs> you up and we'll win three premierships in a row without you." But but um. I wanted to get in before you blokes got in, right? So, um, but, but, but so I was really fortunate to um, actually have it like a 10, 12, 14 year post footy with um, coaching, welfare development. But it wasn't until I actually, you know, I've been in sales the last two or three years. And those transferable skills that you talked about before, Jake, it's so, it's, it's so powerful when you actually believe that, and then yeah. all of a sudden, you actually start to see some success, you know, and I work as I said in sales in technology and automation, but um, they, it's actually the athlete understanding that when you really break it down, it's probably people like yourself and, and, and what, what, the, what the guys do in regards to, you know, your, your determination, you know, the resilience, the, you know, the, the structure you've got to have to be an athlete, the, the, those hard conversations. When, when you really understand that they are so valuable in other areas in life, yeah, and you find a passion, and you know, I found a really good company that believes in me. Then all of a sudden, that buyer starts to go in your stomach again, and then you get a couple of really good wins and a couple of customers and all that, and then you're off again. So it's sort of yeah. it's really powerful what you said before about the, the athlete understanding how transferable some of their skills are. It's a, it's so empowering, I reckon. Yeah, agreed. Actually, I wanted to know just from a selfish point of view, Lambert, what was it like playing in footy in the nineties? 
Uh, in, in comparison to now, because obviously, you, I mean, you've kept quiet on your, some of your achievements over there, but what, an All-Australian and a couple what? of B, lazy BNFs. Well, you've been a bit kind because I did play in the 80s. I played the late 80s. I started in 88. Well, but, um, <laughs> I tried to big you up. You retired uh, in 2000, so uh, that sounds better. I know. You're too nice, Jack. You're nicer than these other two blokes, I can tell you that. They terrorise <laughs> me all the time. You know, he, they booed the year Chris Noah was born. So. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, so, well, that uh, must have been five years before I was born then. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, no, no. And the 90s were, were great. It's sort of like it was a... I mean, it's just a different game. Uh, yeah, you hear all these people talk about it, and... and, and, and like, Laurel will tell you the same. Every generation thinks, oh, better than the other generation. And the game obviously evolves. Obviously, now it's a really professional game. People don't work. I mean, when I, was, when I started, I was finishing my third and fourth year of my apprenticeship, digging holes every day. I mean, like, yeah. but, but, but in the 90s, it was, more, it was more of a really contested game. It was more yeah, it was man on man. You know, there wasn't the zones where you're pushing all your 18 players up to sort of squeeze half of the ground. But it was a great contest. It was just, um, you know, it was tough. Um, mate, if you if you shirked it, mate, if you <laughs> if they thought they could intimidate you, you know, yeah. within the rules back then, you you get whacked or you get, you, you know, there were plenty of rough players that sort of do things that you think right now they'd probably get six weeks for. But <laughs> it, it was a it was kill or be killed, and that's why I love the game now. Is it they've got they've they've got rid of a lot of that sort of thuggery that was there probably through the eighties, probably the early nineties. And now it's it's still a really tough game, but yeah. you know, you know, if you ask me about the '90s, which is a fair while ago there, Jackie, so uh, the, <laughs> the memory with the concussions is I'm struggling a little bit, um, but but it was it was exciting. It's, I mean, when you when you're a kid and you know, I was four or five, and my brother was four years older than me, all, all I ever wanted to do was play VFL AFL footy. You know, my dad was a Mad Carlton supporter, I was a Mad Carlton supporter, and then you get a chance to play, um, and it's just exciting and you don't know how long it's going to last, and then you probably get to a point where you might have played 50, 60, 70 games. You think, geez, barring any mishaps with injuries, I, you know, I, I know that if I if I get complacent with my work rate, someone will overtake me. I always knew that. Um, I, I hopefully can have a 10, 12, 14 year career. And um, yeah. you now it, it was it was super exciting. It was um, I played at Richmond, um, and they weren't really successful back in the. Uh, Late '80s and uh, mid '90s. You just And then, 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 then I, then I was lucky enough to get traded to the Brisbane Bears, which I was absolutely gutted because uh, I thought I was going to go to North Melbourne. Uh, and then I played seven years to 2000, and Lee Matthews, the great Lee Matthews, tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Lambo, mate, this this team will never, this club will never retire you, um, but I think I think it can be better for us in a coaching capacity." Which so you were part of the coaching staff when they won the three three flag league. Yeah, I was a midfield coach looking after Simon Black, Nigel Lapp, and Michael Voss. Pretty tough job there, Jackie. What, what did you do? Did you just give Simon Black the whiteboard and say, "Draw it up, mate"? Or? I just said, "Hey, boys, just go out and play." That's what I said, <laughs> and, and make sure you run back defensively as well. Don't just be all, all attack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Right way, just watch them win a couple of flags. So, how good is this? What else? Hang on for one more year. I'm just blaming my mum and dad. They should have just waited a couple of years. <laughs> now I, could, I actually put out uh, a question to just some of my listeners on what they want to hear from you guys and one of them popped up around it's probably more for uh, Craig and Chris but if, if you guys were starting your career um, again you know, tomorrow or getting you know signing for West Tigers or being drafted uh, Lambo what, what would be something you guys would, would implement differently in your early years to I guess set you up set yourself up for now where you're at I guess post career um, I'll probably setting myself up you know I'll probably uh, for me, probably 
one of the real rare ones that just through necessity, it was literally just because I debuted while I was doing high school and um, was, it was I found a way to escape the media attention. It was so much media attention straight away. And then once I got to do it, I was like, oh, yeah, that, I found that really good to take my mind off of it. And I just started, yeah, again, found it beneficial and it helped me straight away. So that just sort of set me up um, for a routine of things. And I think um, probably, yeah, and then, again, I, I sort of tried a couple of different things. And um, I think probably the only thing I would probably change in, in that space, I started a, a university degree um, uh, yeah, for doing exercise and sports science degree. That sort of didn't work out because, again, the education model didn't suit athletes and I just couldn't make it work. And it really gave um, a bad experience with education. So I think for me, um, it was probably to um, do more research and probably um, touch out, probably go to speak to more people rather than just jumping straight into a uni degree straight away. It would be to access more mentors early on, try and expand my network more early on. Um, to really understand what I enjoy, what I have a passion for. Because even if I finished that degree right now, I'm telling you, I would not have been, that's not the like, field I wanted to go down into. So I guess I learned from that experience. Um, but again, if I could have you know, told my younger self, it would be to, you know, try everything. Um, but, you know, and sometimes you're going to fail and you're going to learn really good lessons. But as soon as you can, and as young as you can, access mentors and try and access your network to learn and grow from. Because that's the fastest way that's going to get you into areas where you, you'll find your passion quicker. Yeah, and uh, so myself, I was pretty fortunate, like fortunate away, like that, you know, you obviously playing, I was 19 when I first started, obviously for the Tigers, and as I said, I was doing my third year of my apprenticeship, so I always, um, when, I, when I did start to play some good footy, Jake, I did say to my mum, well, I don't need this apprenticeship anymore, and that, and she quickly said to me, Craig, you'll be finishing that apprenticeship, so, um, so I, so I always had that in the, as a backup for the plumbing apprenticeship. So, um, but if I had to, do, if I had to do, if I had to do it all over again, I mean, I'm, I've always been really bad, bad with anxiety. I mean, you know, anxiety's always sort of, even to this day, it sort of controls me a little bit. I've got a lot better at it. And early on, I suppose, when I first started playing, um, we had probably an aging, aging list of the Tigers back then, where Dale Waitman is one of the great players I've ever played with. Um, he had he had a reasonable year uh, in his first year, but then all of a sudden, um, obviously uh, in our game they, they they tag and they they put someone on you to stop you. Um, and through those first two or three years, where you'd have some games where guys were just keeping you to 12, 13 touches, and you know the supporters were getting into you. And when you've got high standards as yourself, the athlete, I I didn't really talk to too many people about it. Um, I, I might have spoke to, I've got a really good mate down in um, Melbourne, Craig Tail, Tails, he, he's one of my best mates, I used to talk to him a little bit, but I didn't utilise enough people around me when I was going through those really tough times where you're not, you're not playing well, the team's not playing well, um, and that anxiety's growing, um, self-doubt was there, even though, I was, even though perception was I was still going well and finishing not bad in best and fairest and all that, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to win every single week. I wanted to beat that anyone who came on me. I wanted to beat them every single week. And you, you have those really dark, you know, for that 48 hours after you finish footy, you really you don't want to talk to anyone. You get angry at your partner. Um, you know, you don't want, you're shitty with your parents. Um, and if I went back, I'd just be a bit more balanced and actually trust maybe two, three, four people within the club and tell them how I'm feeling. Like right, right now, we have sports psychologists. It's a lot more professional in regards to the way they can handle that. But, but back then, I remember the first two, three, four years, it was more 
you just got so down on yourself and then it would flow into the following week instead of being able to talk to people and say, you know what, everyone goes through frustration, you know, and I've played, I've played a poor game. How can I how can I express it and talk to someone and get it out so then I can move on? Because while it's still deep inside me, it's going to affect me for the weeks. So I definitely think that's um that's something that I didn't do real well early in my career. Yeah, that's a good. I, I completely agree. I think that as well. I kept a lot of things hidden and in myself and tried to deal with it myself when I was probably at a point in my life where I didn't. I probably wasn't in a place to to deal with that on my own. I probably needed support and guidance. And I think Chris made a great point and. It probably ties into a little bit of the work one well-being you're doing, but having those like mentors, because when you're in a professional sporting environment, you've got so much access to great people around you, even like in an, in the sport, but also outside of it with businesses that come in from sponsorships. There's so many mentors you can really try and network with if you, if you want to. But I, I wish I had the, you know, thinking back now when I was 18, 19, like a platform like One Wellbeing to work with to have people like Chris and Leon to maybe lean in on and say, mate, like what what's going on? What do I do? How do I... You know, just that, just that guidance invaluable. So, um, no, definitely, yeah. Been, yeah, definitely. Why sort of why we do what we do now? Because we've got a passion for that to to try and you know provide that sort of mentorship for, for athletes and uh, just let them understand it's not just about you know education. You know, it's about trying to find your confidence again, find your identity away from sport, find your passion, um, but try to help you extend the network to learn from different people. Um, Leon and I did sort of bit of a podcast just you know on our own um, this afternoon it's just just about sort of my first sort of step to retirement and what I'm doing and what I've learned this week and for me the biggest thing that I've learned is about how being able to go and meet with you know different people in my um, network and just have a chat to them and, and just chat with them about what I'm doing what they're doing how I can help add value to them and just learning from them and a different perspective really opens my eyes to a different way of thinking um, you know as athletes we're sort of in our bubble, we you know got our blinkers on, and we sort of got a certain way of thinking. Um, by, you know, for me again, that would have been something I would have loved to have done more of earlier. Just have conversations with different people from different industries, different backgrounds, who are away from sport, who you can really learn off, and they might give you a fresh approach on how to deal with situations while you're playing or what to do sort of away from sport. So, um, I think it's yeah. so. Like, I think it's important, probably. Like, I know you pretty well, but I suppose. Now, if we're talking about um, opening up in regards to seeking out mentors, I mean, anyone who knows Chris Lawrence, um, Jake, he's, his nickname's Rowdy. And that's there's a bit of sarcasm with that because he's actually quite shy. And, um, you know, but they call him Rowdy. I've always wondered why, but naturally pretty, like probably introverted as a person. Well, I'm, I'm quite extroverted, right? But but in what, in what probably Lauro's saying, he'll probably be able to articulate a lot better than me, is that, you know, that, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, when you are in that professional sports, you know, it, you know, there are a lot of really good mentors, great sponsors that really want to know about your journey, what, 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 there's a kid, um, brothers and sisters. And I think I identify, I know, I know when I was in the welfare development space and you had probably half the group when you had those uh, sponsor nights sitting in the corner, don't want to talk to anyone. And then you had mm-hmm. half who would go and mingle. And then you'd have to go and I used to try and educate. So, and some, most of them were like introverts. There was some, some I just thought they were better than everyone, right? Which we get at every, every code. But, um, mm. but, 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 but once you identify with these young players that if you're meeting the CEO of BHP, you don't have to talk about the share price and BHP. That's the last thing he wants to talk about. He actually yeah. wants to know about your journey, you as a footballer, how the club's going, 
And when they can embrace that, they should know that better than anyone because that's their life. And then they can talk to them on that level. But I think sometimes that fear of, geez, I'm meeting this really big business person. What do I say to him? You know, you know, they've got to understand they're there because they love, they love the game and they and, and they love the club. So it's a really important yeah. thing that Laura says. It's just you, know, you don't have to be an extrovert to actually go out and talk about your journey, how you got to where you are, because that's what people want to know. Yeah, yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. But boys, it's been been an absolute pleasure um, divulging into, I guess, some of the some of the work you guys do as a as a business at One Wellbeing, and for all the athletes that are tuning in, I definitely. Worth giving it up a, a look to to see some of the work Leon and Chris are implementing across the sport in the country, and um, you know for Chris, I guess a pretty awesome career you've had to date, mate. So congratulations on on that, and enjoy retirement. One thing I actually will share is I was trialing at a a club in England, and there was a guy there. His name was Brett Ormerod, and he was thirty nine on trial with me. And I asked him, I'm like, mate, what are you what are you doing? Like, what, like why? And he played in the Premier League and all that stuff. He goes, well, when I was at a can't remember which club it was, but he said Robbie Fowler, the Liverpool legend, was there, uh, and he was forty and he was training away. And he goes, "Mate, what are you, what are you doing here?" And he he said to him, "He goes, mate, you're a long time retired." <laughs> so um, yeah. Yeah, that always stuck with me. But enjoy retirement, Chris, and um, yeah, Lambo, appreciate you you being a part of the show as well. And obviously, thanks for having me on, guys. It's been awesome to kind of do this together. Yeah, thanks, for time, mate. Thanks, thanks, guys. It's been good. Thanks, Jaggy. But I really enjoyed it. Do it again. Awesome. Right, yeah. Cheers, sure. Go Tigers, Cheers, guys. Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award winning Ozcast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free and you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. Ozcast. Simply head to ozcastnetwork.com for details.